What is more metaphysical than numbers and money and mathematics? Answering the question of whether evil exists is less important than the quantifiability of evil. If evil exists and cannot be quantified, its existence is scientifically unimportant. Of course, if one assumes metaphysical statements are invalid, then quantification as a category ought to seem nonsensical. But any discussion regarding metaphysics quickly enters the twilight zone of absurdity. Arguments about metaphysics assume metaphysical propositions have validity. Claims such as metaphysical statements are meaningless is a meaningful metaphysical proposition. The claim all truth is empirical is a metaphysical, not empirical, claim. Empirical truths and secular ideas are synthetic and by nature contingent. Statements that are not metaphysical or are not analytical are synthetic and often tautological. Any statement that assumes truth exists and moral absolutes exist has the structure of a metaphysical statement. All true statements or statements about truth are metaphysical in their construction. Secularists cannot argue the invalidity of metaphysics without resorting to metaphysical argumentation. Non-metaphysical philosophy is nothing more than qualified suggestions. To say truth is relative is a self-contradiction and an oxymoron. The claim cannot be made that truth does not exist without refuting the very claim one is making. The is the insurance policy of metaphysics. To refute, it requires it to exist. This conclusion was not developed by metaphysicians. The main proponents of this position were the logical positivists, also known as the Vienna School. In attempting to prove that all metaphysical discussion was meaningless and all metaphysical claims unprovable by the methods of empirical science, the philosophers of the Vienna School demonstrated they were doing metaphysics. This was when serious atheists gave up attempting to defend atheism and retreated into intellectual apathy. It is impossible to make statements that are not metaphysical unless they are tautological. Empiricism cannot make truth claims using the empirical method. However, the inherent failure and unverifiability of atheism and the secular position is a far cry from proving that evil can be defined, quantified, and measured. Understanding evil requires we understand a little something about reality. It is not possible to quantify evil if reality cannot be quantified. People do not understand the implications of this statement. If it is possible to quantify reality, we can quantify truth and by extension, evil. There is a logic to reality. Perhaps the greatest truth we can articulate is the truth of creation. We own what we author. We do not own what we do not create. We have no claim on anything created by another. This gives us an insight into the nature of evil, but it also makes visible a paradox. 
If you do not see the paradox, you did not understand what was said about ownership. Even so, you know, no person created the natural world. Governments did not create air, land or water. The state has no right to it. We do not own personal goods or things we need for personal use, but the issue is moot. We either have a right given by necessity that overrides other issues, or we have lost the ability to survive. There is not much on the planet that is useful to us in its natural state. Plants in their natural state do not produce large yields. Animals in their original state are not harvestable in sufficient quantities to support large populations sustainably. To move past subsistence agriculture had to exercise authority over the earth. Getting past the issue of the natural world mankind is faced with the issue of differing abilities. The less able need help, but the extraordinary person deserves compensation and recognition for what he or she achieves. But how do we recognize we have no right to make claims on the natural world while ensuring the weak are cared for and the more able are appropriately rewarded? Do we permit competition between individuals to define levels of compensation as in capitalism? Do we permit the state to define levels of compensation as communists do? Think of the first man who chipped out an arrowhead. He did it to make himself a better hunter. Perhaps his tribe encouraged him to focus on making arrow and spearheads and give up hunting. An artisan no longer makes arrowheads for personal use, yet artisan production it's not that different from production by craftsmen for personal use. The village caused what economists call specialization to come into existence. The best hunters hunt, the best foragers forage, and the best arrowhead maker makes arrowheads. Specialization improves the productivity of everyone involved. It is when the maker of arrowheads monopolizes his skilled problems develop. It is obvious OG did not make the flint from which he chipped arrowheads. What gives him the right to monopolize a quarry? Indeed, what gives him the right to sell arrowheads? Technically, OG does not have sole rights to the arrowhead. An arrowhead is legally akin to a house with a lien attached. The arrowhead contains a liability portion, the natural flint from which the arrowhead was chipped. No one disputes the design and work is not the property of OG. However, OG is not selling the design or the work. He is selling a fully formed arrowhead made of flint that he did not form. Unfortunately, virtually everyone thinks this is immaterial and at best academic. Let's restate the problem to make the issue clearer. Imagine OG monopolizes the supply of arrowheads and as a result is able to demand whatever he wishes for his product. Then he monopolizes the tribe's land and eventually the tribe's water. Ultimately OG becomes a demigod holding the power of life and death over the tribe. 
either OG claims are legitimate or the original claim regarding the arrowhead was as fictitious as were all his later claims. We are either permitted to reign as demigods and autocrats or commercial ownership is based on a false premise. We cannot be good using what others created. To be good and do good, we have to have ownership of what we created. There is no way around this. If we have nothing, we cannot make moral choices. Nor can we make economic choices. A slave cannot do good because he has nothing with which to do good with. We ignore minor courtesies for the sake of clarity. If we do not own the car we drive, using it to shuttle people around is not a good we do. Moral acts consume the resources of the good person in a way that benefits the beneficiary. If we need goods to do good, then acts that are evil are moral acts done as in a mirror. Stealing not only takes what belongs to others, it removes from the other person the capacity to act benevolently. Evil is the beneficiary becoming the agent, and the agent is made a victim. Evil acts deprive people of the opportunity to do good. Let's move on a step further. OG created an arrowhead, but it was created by adding value to what already existed. OG is entitled to the value he created, but has no claim on the flint. Capitalists claim the owner of capital sets the price. Communists believe the state has the right to set prices. Stone, earth, waterfalls, forests, trees, minerals, and all the other things man claims are not ours. We have no right to claim them or market them. Nature is an asset composed of assets. Mankind cannot create assets and has no claim on them. Why did Jesus tell the rich young man to sell what he had and give the proceeds to the poor? Why did Jesus mock the rich man who filled his barns before settling down to what he thought would be a long and prosperous retirement? Why did Jesus make the statement about the love of money being the root of all kinds of evil? We cannot clear-cut a forest, sell the lumber, and keep the proceeds for our own use. At least had we given 10% of our earnings to the church we might be forgiven, but it still does not make the action itself right. If we owned a house with a lien attached, we could not set its selling price that did not allow the lien holder to be compensated. A just price is defined by the labor theory of value. Economists have decided this is not a practical method of establishing the selling price but they cannot devise another. The labor theory of value remains the only just way at arriving at a fair price. The inability of economists to figure out how to make this a practical option does not change the truth. The problem of evil is the problem of dishonesty. We cannot take what does not belong to us. But we do have a right to benefit from the work we do. It is possible to look at the history of the world as a struggle to reconcile the unreconcilable. 
There is no way to create a civilization until we have reconciled the competing rights of the creator of equity with the creator of assets. The first step in this reconciliation is to take all commercial assets and deposit them in a trust account. We refer to this legal entity as an exchange. All commercial property within a political jurisdiction is transferred to the exchange. The exchange serves as the owner of record. The investor obtains a share in the exchange. This is a voting share or common share. Investors are also compensated for the value invested. This is where things get slightly complicated if you are not familiar with investment vehicles. Commercial assets are invested in the exchange. The investment is compensated with a deposit in the investor's account of preferred shares equal to the investment made. If the commercial property is valued at $10,000, then 10,000 preferred share units are credited to the account of the investor. If the investor works one hour, his or her account is credited with the value of one hour's work. This is standardized at 15 preferred shares per hour. The commercial property is operated in the standard way. The exchange serves as the owner of record and the employees are all hires of the business entity. To set up a new business, for example a taxi business, the new entity is provided cars and whatever else is required by the exchange as a business transfer. The assets are transferred from one account in the exchange to the new account representing the new business. The value of these assets are debited the new business account and credited the investor's account. Employees of the taxi exchange drive and are paid for the work they do. Those who hire a car pay the cost as a debit to their account with the exchange. We now understand that if assets are taken from the exchange without the debit being recorded, this is an evil, and it can be quantified. The exchange is able to give the theft or fraud a numerical value and debit the criminal's account. The amount taken is a debit to the freeloader and a credit to the victim's account to compensate for the harm done. These numerical values can be established by civil courts. An economy is nothing more than a recording of debits and credits. The more accurately this is done the better off we all are. The harm done by a criminal can be quantified and recorded using the exchange economic model. Society can and ought to track harm done on the criminal's account reconciled with the accounts of his or her victims. If evil is benefiting from what is not yours or taking from others what you did not reconcile, then all we need is a monetary system that reflects these transfers. It has been demonstrated that both work done and harm done can be tracked and quantified using preferred shares as a unit of account. Therefore, for all intents and purposes, evil can be quantified using the exchange business model.